Good afternoon. Sean Moran here with the Shamo Hoops Pod. I'm here with a special guest, Coach Chris Gurlison, the new head coach of the San Francisco Dons. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Sean. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, no, I appreciate you coming on. I know it's been a, a whirlwind last month and a half just from a, a coaching standpoint. I know it was a whirlwind this year and, and getting back to the tournament, but how's everything been for you just since that, uh, that announcement? No, it's been it's been great. You know, the the NCAA tournament feels like it happened, <laughs> you know, six years ago at this point with just how busy things have been. But um, no, it's been it's been great. It's been uh, a whirlwind, but um, you know, all good stuff. This is this is obviously why you coach. You know, I have the opportunity to lead lead your own program. So you know, I couldn't be more more happy about where we are. Yeah, I definitely want to kind of talk about that that journey, uh, which, which now you've gotten to that head coaching position, but kind of go back into that mid-March timeframe. You know, you guys had a tremendous season, one playing in the West coast conference, how difficult it is for teams outside of Gonzaga, St. Mary's to, to make the tournament uh, because it's so hard to steal the tournament bid. You guys get there. You have an amazing game. Obviously the, the, the result didn't turn out how you wanted, but it was probably one of the best opening round games anybody watched. And then all of a sudden, uh, Coach Golden goes to Florida, and you're announced as a head coach. What one, one to two days afterwards? Yep. Um, yep. How, how did how did everything kind of fall into place so quickly? Yeah, I think um, number one, you know, have to obviously thank the the president of the university and and the powers that be, from the athletic director to the vice president um, and the board of trustees for just. Um, you know, doing their homework and, and believing in me. You know, I, I tend to think the best job interview is the one that you're in, you know. Mm-hmm. So I did have a, a full year to kind of establish relationships here and um, just kind of let people know that what kind of coach I was and what I was about. Um, but, you know, in the lead up to the to the NCAA tournament, um, you know, there were certain things that I, I could just – they popped on my radar to let me know that they were kind of doing their homework and making sure their ducks were in a row in terms of if Todd was uh, fortunate enough to, to get a, a power five job. And mm-hmm. so there, there were little meetings that happened here and there, whether it was with the AD or whether it was with the president in the lead up to our NCAA tournament game that, that kind of let me know that, that I'd be in a good position, you know, if Todd were happened to, to get a job somewhere else. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, sure enough that week of the NCAA tournament was a whirlwind for, for Todd. Um, you know, I think he, he initially interviewed with Florida at like 5 a.m. the morning <laughs> we left to fly to Indianapolis. Uh, and then within, you know, 48 hours time, he was set to be named the next head coach here. So everything happened super fast, um, both for him and for me. Um, and again, I was just lucky, you know, some of this is, is being in the right place at the right time. Uh, yep. And I certainly feel that, that, you know, that played into my favor, um, you know, being named the, the next head coach here. Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure, as you said, it was a little different kind of having that season, you know, really in place for everybody to get to know you, but, I know every interview is different, but how does it go when people are trying to learn about your philosophy or try to see your vision? Um, you know, was there a, what type of preparation goes into that coming from the assistant world and now trying to vis- you know, have people visualize what you want your stamp to be on a certain program? 
Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, coming in on the on the front end of things, you know, I think Todd was very um, calculated, and and there was no ego with him. You know, when I decided to come here, it was almost like, hey, we're gonna try to coach a team together, and you're gonna have you know a lot of freedom to um, kind of be my right hand man and, and run the offense, and um, you know, really try to put my thumbprint on on the program and. Um, so I felt like, you know, throughout the course of the year, I was heavily involved in, in a lot of the things on a day-to-day -day basis, whether it was a, a planning standpoint, whether it was game planning, um, or whether it was in-game coaching, um, you know, so I, I think that people got a good feel for kind of what I was all about on a day-to-day -day basis, whether that was mm -hmm. from the athletic director or whether that was from the players in the program. Um, and I think that played a part, you know, in, in all of it and them feeling comfortable with me. Yeah. And get the, the get the coaching job. And there's so much going on for anybody right now, with, especially with the transfer portal. Things are a little there's a lot more going on. Transfer portal and recruiting. Uh, you've gone through two live periods, um, figuring out a coaching staff. How, how did you you know put everything in different buckets or how did you kind of begin the journey uh, to one rebuild, you know, rebuild the team for next year. And I know great news just came through of Khalil Shabazz returning as well. So it's almost, yeah. you know, recruiting, cre recruiting internally, recruiting externally. But what was kind of the initial process, especially, um, you know, since you were kind of doing it, you know, without a full full staff at that time? Yeah, no, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head. <laughs> you know, it, it's really, um, you know, trying to prioritize and understand that you can't do everything, you know, in the snap of a finger. Um, there's so much that needs to be done when you're first hired as a head coach. And I just tried to, as you said, just compartmentalize stuff, you know, and, and really, um, you know, the first order of business for me was making sure the guys within our program were good, you know, mm -hmm. and, and so I spent a lot of time, you know, meeting with the players who were here, you know, because to me, they are the most important people is the guys who are in your program. So I wanted to make sure they understood what kind of what my vision was going forward, um, how much I valued them. And then from there, obviously, you move to the transfer portal and, and the recruiting piece to assembling a staff. Uh, you can go down the line to scheduling. And, and meeting with donors and talking about NIL. I mean, there's there's a gamut of things that um, go into it. But I think just really trying to stay, you know, very short-sighted in terms of dealing with the day-to-day -day and just slowly trying to, you know, check things off the off the list in terms of what were the the priority things to get done from a from an initial stage. Got it. And you know, from from the transfer portal now, kind of in the second year where you're not, you're not sitting out, you're not sitting out the year, but there's hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people that are in the portal. What's, what's the process for evaluate, being able to evaluate, but being able to do it efficiently so that you can identify somebody that would be that, that wants to go in the WCC that can make the tournament. What's, what's the process for, for being able to do that quickly and efficiently, especially at, at your level? Yeah, I think just, being extremely meticulous in terms of just sifting through, as you said, the thousands of names in the portal. And, and some people like it, some people don't. I, I personally love it. I feel like you're almost like um, an NBA GM, you know, in terms of really having a, uh, the ability to build your team. 
Um, and we're very analytical, you know, in terms of how we sift and sort through numbers. So um, what we value may not be valued at other places. And I think it gives you the chance to, if you, if you really dive into it and do your homework, um, really get guys who fit, you know, your style of play and fit your culture as a program. And um, so, you know, I enjoy it. It's a thing that is a, a daily process, right? We wake up in the morning, we look at the portal and we look at it before we go to bed at night. And, um, you know, there's a lot of good players in there. And it's a matter of, again, just sifting through, um, you know, all the information. And you've landed several already, I think, from d different pockets of the country, uh, down in Southern California, East Coast, mid, or, you know, down South as well. So obviously putting, you know, putting feelers out across the country, um, you know, from a, from a coaching standpoint, you just added two new assistant coaches and you've been around for a while in, in the game coaching at different spots. But how, when you're kind of looking for new coaches, especially the first time, is it kind of a mix of people that you've you're familiar with that you've heard about or how did you kind of how did you kind of go through that process of finding people that fit your um you know your mentality yeah i think um you know when when i was named the head coach i think i got over 1200 <laughs> text messages and and phone calls and um that in itself was overwhelming you know and and but the one thing that i did try to do was get back to everyone that reached out to me whether it was a text or a phone call um, because I, I knew how that felt as a ass longtime assistant you know you, you just want to know what the score of the game is whether you can get involved with the job or, or not and so mm -hmm. um, I did try and I, I, I did um, you know respond to everyone hopefully in a, in a pretty timely manner um, but it was something that I had always thought about you know I had always you know, thought that hopefully I would have the chance to become a head coach. And, um, you know, when I did, I always kind of thought about what I would do from a staff component. And the one thing that kind of rang true with me, you know, through thinking about it was in my first go around, I wanted to hire guys that I had a relationship with and that I knew. Mm -hmm. um, so that right there probably eliminated 75% of the people that reached out to me. And, and so I think my, my pool shrunk. Yep. Um, and I had some people in mind who, um, you know, I had always kind of admired from afar and have respect for in the business. Um, and so it really wasn't as overwhelming as, as what people talked about it being, because I, I, I think that I had a decent um, idea of kind of what I wanted to do when, mm -hmm. when it all happened. Yeah. Well, in terms of, of what you want to do, I know, you know, just looking at, at Ken Palm, which I love going to on a, on a daily basis. And you can kind of look at San Fran uh, the year before where there's a lot of talent, but in a COVID shortened season, they didn't have the season that they wanted. Then this year you said you were able to touch a lot more offensively. You saw the tempo really increase a very efficient, efficient offense, as well as an offense focused on the three point shot. How, how would you kind of describe your offensive and defensive philosophies uh, now, now as a head coach? Yeah, I think defensively, you know, we'll, tweak a few things but we we had a pretty good system in place and I, yep. I'd be stupid to sit up here and come in and say that I'm just gonna rearrange everything and, and change it up Todd was um super dialed in and, and very um disciplined and, and structured in the terms of uh, how we taught and implemented our defense and our defensive numbers I mean we finished last year I think 22nd um yep. in the country defensively so 
Um, I'd be stupid if I sat up here and said I was going to change a whole lot on that end of the ball. Um, and then offensively speaking, you know, I, I've been fortunate enough to run the offense here at, at San Francisco, at Hawaii, and, and at the University of San Diego before that. And, um, you know, I think if, if you watched any of those teams play, you would say that, um, you know, our players play with structure, but they have a lot of freedom within how we play. You know, mm -hmm. we're all about spacing, um, a lot of two-man games, a lot of uh, ball movement and player movement. Um, but I never want to put players' games in a box, you yep. know. And, you know, the way the, the game has gone, you look from the NBA on down to the international game is, um, you know, you want as many threats on the floor as possible. So, you know, right. to, to simplify it, you know, we want five guys on the floor who have the ability to dribble, pass, and shoot. Um, and we're a lot of read and react, you know, and, and I think it lends itself to, to, you know, teaching guys how to play. And then you kind of let their natural instincts um, take over, which, again, is hard to scout. Yeah, hard to scout, but it, but kind of makes for a compelling recruiting story when when trying to get get new guys in. Uh, definitely. And and utilizing this last season, what this last season looked like. I want to go back in time a little bit. East Coast guy. Philly, Philly guy, but very familiar on the East Coast, played at Randolph-Macon. And I got to ask, what is in the water in, in Ashland? Because I think you're now the uh, third current Division One coach that, that played with Coach Rose at VCU and uh, over at, at Bucknell as well. And then you have uh, Sean McAloon uh, at IMG Academy. So what, what, it, what is it from Ashland that, that has grown this, this coaching, coaching tree? It's it's kind of amazing if you if you think about it, you know, being such a small school, you know, less than 2000 students um, to have the just the basketball tradition, you know, that it has. They won the national championship this past year. Um, and that's kind of been something you go back to the 50s, 60s and 70s, 80s. It's it's always been like that. There's tremendous tradition at the school. And um, I just think. There's guys there, whether it was when I was there or prior to me or after, that just like eat, sleep, and breathe basketball. And um, it's kind of amazing is, is you know, the Randolph-Macon guys have always taken care of one another um, and have always kind of, you know, reached out and helped, whether it's a younger guy or an older guy, get into the business. Um, and it's just, a, it's an unbelievable, um, you know, pipeline and tree you know, to be a part of, um, you know, I, I would be hard pressed to say that there's any other small college um, in the country that has as many coaches as we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's also assistant coaches as well. And I think I might've missed you by a year or two when I first went to camp there, I think in not to go way back in time, but 99. Yeah. We don't, we don't need to say what year. Uh, that was, but, yeah. <laughs> but at that time, coach Rhodes, I think it was his first year. And you know, I'm, I'm in high school and I think he's the oldest guy in the world. And then now when you think about it, he was a head coach at 25, 26, and it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. But so is, you know, having having all those other coaches in Division One. Your dad was a coach. Did you kind of always know you wanted to go into coaching after basketball or was it more as you were kind of finishing up your career at Randolph-Macon? No, I, I, I knew from probably an early age that basketball was going to be um, – my profession as a, as a coach, I just always knew I wanted to do it and never really thought about doing anything else. And um, obviously, you know, when you're growing up playing, you, you think you're going to play in the NBA and, and do all this stuff. And I, I realized that 
pretty pretty quickly that you know professional basketball wasn't necessarily in my future but um, I love being around the game I love being around the players um, and just kind of developing those those meaningful relationships um, you know whether it's in the gym or from a recruiting standpoint and um, so yeah it was it was kind of in my blood from a from a very early age for sure mm-hmm. and when, when you're finishing up school I know you started as, as a grad assistant and kind of worked up but what is the what is kind of the networking like at that point, right right in the beginning of your career, and and you were able to go to a few different few different spots, uh, you know, Citadel, Hart, uh, you know, on the East Coast. How do you kind of start to build that network, you know, from a coaching coaching standpoint? Yeah, so the spring of my uh, senior year in college, I I sat down with my college coach, um, an unbelievable coach named Hal Nunnally. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was old school and, and he kind of just always told you how it was, whether you liked it or not. And, uh, you know, I didn't have much, you know, options in terms of what I was going to do. I was leaning on him to kind of help me. And, and I literally told him, coach, I'll go anywhere. I, I really don't care. And so a Friday um, in the spring of my senior year, when most people are enjoying themselves on a, on a Friday afternoon, <laughs> I got a phone call from a coach and he said, can you be over to my office in 20 minutes? I said, sure, I'll I'll be right over. So I I go over and he says, "Uh, I need you to go home and get the only suit that you own. You're going to get in the car and you're going to drive to Chestertown, Maryland to Washington College. Um, And I've got you an interview with with the head coach there. I think you're going to have an opportunity to be a GA. I didn't ask where Chestertown, Maryland was. I didn't ask how much it paid. I really didn't care. I was just so excited to even just have the opportunity to potentially break into college coaching. And, and so I jumped in the car and sure enough, um, you know, I had the opportunity to work at, at Washington College, at Division Three school for um, a year. And, you know, looking back on it, um, it's kind of crazy. I think I made $1,500. Um, so I, I for sure ran up the credit card and, and all that stuff in that first year, but it, it was awesome. And I, I really didn't care about any of that. I was just happy to be coaching. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you made it into the division one ranks pretty, pretty quickly. When you, when you got there, what was it like just from a recruiting standpoint and trying to identify the right type of player that can play at the division one level, but can play at the right level versus, you know, hoping somebody is maybe a little too high and now they're getting picked off by either mid-majors or or high majors. Yeah, no, I mean, looking back on it, I wouldn't change a thing about the first division one school I worked at because I had a chance to work at a military school. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just that in itself, you know, you have to pretty much know everyone from a recruiting standpoint. Uh, And you wind up sifting through a lot of names because the military isn't for everyone, you know? So um, you know, it really taught me how to evaluate on a broad level. Um, but you also had to develop relationships, you know, on, on a broad level because you were dealing with a lot more kids. Um, and so it just kind of taught me how to be kind of meticulous in that. Um, I worked for a guy who was super detailed and, and disciplined and, and was hard on me as a, a young assistant. But I'm grateful for that because it, it made me um really appreciate just the smaller details and things and um i think you know allow me to become a a, a pretty good recruiter mm-hmm. and 
I, I'm curious because you know you kind of go through the the coaching tree of of the different different stops, and all of a sudden, 2015, you go from the East Coast all the way to the West Coast, which mm-hmm. I, I don't think you you see a lot of people a lot of people doing. What what was kind of the rationale for big change, especially I'm sure you're you're used to recruiting the East or Southeast uh, or, or Northeast, and and now you're trying to get acclimated to a whole different different area. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I probably always struggled with um, leaving the school that I was at. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, now if you look around, there's so, so much movement and, and people are always, especially young assistants, they're, they're in a hurry to kind of jump from school to school and work their way up the ladder. And, um, you know, I, I always had a problem or it was a, it was a struggle for me um, when I thought about, number one, leaving the person I was working for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then leaving the kids that you put so much time in developing and recruiting. Um, but I had spent, I think, eight or nine years at Hartford. And, um, you know, it was time for me to kind of branch out and kind of get outside my comfort zone. And, and so when Lamont Smith got the job at University of San Diego, he reached out to me, not even to ask about hiring me. He was asking about some prep school kids. Um, on the East Coast. And so we, we talked for probably 35, 45 minutes about just players. Um, never once said anything about an opening on his staff. And so I, I just took it for what it's worth. We had a really good conversation. But um, the next morning, I woke up to all these text messages from John Gallagher, who I was working for at um, Hartford. And he said, hey, you got to be expecting a call from Lamont Smith. He's going to call and offer you a job to go to San Diego. Um, And I was like, holy crap. I had no idea where this even came from. So I had a conversation with Lamont and kind of talked through things. And I I felt like it would it would really be a chance for me to, number one, um, recruit in a different part of the country. um, But number two, have a chance to really build an offense and, and be the offensive coordinator um, with a new head coach. And so um, I'm so glad that, that Lamont trusted in me and hired me on his first staff. And, um, you know, it was a, it was a smart move on, on my part, uh, looking back on it for sure. Yeah. And then, you know, in terms of getting out of your comfort zone, going even farther to Hawaii for a few years where, where you got some head coaching experience. When you think of coaching, it's easy to see people getting the head coaching jobs, but I think it goes – a little bit unsaid of how difficult it can be as an assistant, especially if you get fired, you know, the head coach gets fired and now you're out looking for a job, but just kind of continuing to build. Did you ever, I don't know, get discouraged or think that, Hey, maybe it's not in the cards to find a head coaching position or how did you kind of continue to progress up the ranks steadily do that and and now kind of reach what I assume was probably a goal to get a head coaching position at some point in time? Yeah, no, I mean, the, the older you get, you certainly, um, you know, you wonder about that. But, you know, I, I also think, you know, worrying about it doesn't do anything, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I always just kind of stuck to the mindset, if you just keep your nose down and, and your head down and, and, and work, um, that people will appreciate that and, and the right opportunity will present itself when it's time, you know, and, and everyone kind of has a different path you know, to becoming a head yep. coach. And, and, you know, I wouldn't change a thing about kind of what my career path was. You know, I, I, I think going through all the different stops and places I've been and the, the great coaches I've been around has 
um, help prepare me for this opportunity. So, um, you know, I, I wouldn't change a thing in terms of how it all played out. And once again, kind of a lot of different stops, but you got to where you, you wanted to go. So I think it shows the patience and perseverance uh, that it takes, you know, just in, in general to, to get there. You know, one of my, I'm a big college hoops fan, big basketball fan, but I love, love the recruiting aspect of it and will read, follow, have been to tons and tons of AAU high school tournaments. Are there, is there, not to put you on the spot, but is there kind of a recruiting story that whether it was funny or comical or just something that kind of comes in mind over, over the years uh, or even just kind of a situation that, you know, you kind of think back out, back about and, and just laugh. That's a great question. There's probably, <laughs> I know that's many, very broad. Yeah. Very there's broad. probably too, and, too many, some, some aren't uh, probably further yeah. being on a podcast, <laughs> but um, no, just, I think someone asked me about this recently. Um, but Lamont Smith and I had a chance to, after I think our second year at, at um, San Diego, you know, we, we were trying to get the program on track and, and we were trying to think outside the box in terms of, you know, whether we go international, whether we go transfer. So we decided to go down the transfer route and we were going to take this international trip. Um, after the season was over, we went on like a 10 day trip. We went to like six different countries. Um, it was an amazing trip. We wound up getting Yowie and Masalski, um, out of that trip. But one of the stops on our trip, we flew into the Ukraine, um, and given everything that's going on in the Ukraine now, this story obviously, um, is kind of even more crazy to think about it. But, um, we spent, I think a day and a half in, in the capital in Kyiv, which was great. It was like being in New York city, but one of the players, um, that we needed to go see was like a three hour drive outside of the capital. And, um, at the time it was dangerous to, to, for Americans to be traveling around the country. So we had a private driver in this tinted out, you know, car that was, was kind of taking us everywhere while we were there. And I, I just remember having to, in this three hour car ride, I felt like the guy was in fast and furious. We we're driving, felt like 150 miles an hour on these highways that had bomb strewn highways. He's pulling off the highway. It was the, uh, the worst car trip of my, me and Lamont were like looking at each other while we're in this car, just saying, what, what have we gotten ourselves into? Um, but that was an interesting uh, recruiting trip to say the least. And, and one that I think both of us could probably write a book about in terms of just the experience while we were in the Ukraine. But um you know, that's one that comes to mind, but there, there's so many, you know, whether it's players that went out, went on to be the NBA players or, um, you know, some, some different families that I've had a chance to connect with. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, probably, probably worthy of a book in terms of all the recruiting stories that we could go into. Yeah, I, I can, I can only imagine uh, some of, some of those, some of those stories with, with what you hear, but just want to do a pre, you know, thank you for, for coming on and congratulations again on, on getting the head coaching, coaching role. Uh, I know you put a lot of, a lot of work in already and expectations are, are high now, but you know, you have a good, good base to work with and excited to see, um, you know, how this season, as well as, you know, the next, next part of your career turns out. So really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thanks, Sean. It was great.